<laughs> well, it is the season of Christmas. And I remember Ashley and I, when we first got married, our first Christmas, we had only been married two months, and we were trying to figure out whose family we were going to spend time with that holiday season. So we were going to spend a few days with my mom and my family, and then go and spend a few days with her mom and dad and their family. And, and you know, Christmas time can be a little bit hectic. <laughs> it can be a little bit stressful. There's a lot of presents you're, you're thinking of, people you're thinking of, things you got to do, spend equal amount of time with families and in-laws and all that stuff. And so we finally get there, and we, we were uh, going to her family's Christmas. It was out of town in another state, and there was a cabin. We were all staying there, and she comes from a family with four kids. I come from a family with four kids, and all of her siblings are married with children, and my siblings are married with children. So anyways, we get to her family's Christmas time cabin experience, and her dad says, okay, before we open the presents, we're going to do a scavenger hunt. There's going to be a competition. And, and right when he said competition, I just knew, like, this is going to get a little crazy. Because I'm a competitive person, but little did I know, I'd only been married for two months. My wife was even more competitive than me. And um, her dad says, all right, here's how you get to open your presents. You have to do this scavenger hunt. There's going to be clues along the scavenger hunt. And when you get to the final clue, um, you get to come back and open your presents. And the person who wins the scavenger hunt gets extra Christmas cash. And so that just made it all the more competitive. Yeah. We're like, okay. And Ashley grabs my face and looks me in the eyes. She goes, we cannot lose. <laughs> she said, it's not just about the money. We've got to beat my siblings. And we've got to beat them good. Okay. So... <laughs> So, you know, all right, yeah, yeah, we can't lose. Let's do it. And I, I wanted to win, too. I wanted to win this game. And so her dad says, ready, set, go. And he gives us all this box. And he says, the first clue is in this box. And so, you know, the box has duct tape all around it. You can't figure out how to get into it. There's Christmas wrapping paper all around it. So we start trying to pull it. We can't pull it. So we go to the kitchen to grab some scissors. So I start trying to scissor cut it, and Ashley's like, are you kidding me? Give me the scissors. You don't know how to cut. So she starts cutting, and I go, what? Give me the scissors. I know how to cut this thing. I start stabbing the box, and she's like, who did I marry, you know? And this is, this is just getting out of control. And so her family, all of a sudden, like, they're getting to their clue, and we still haven't even got through the first box. And it turns out there's six boxes inside that box, and the clue is in the last box. And I'm just going, are you serious, you know? And, Tension is rising, the stress is increasing, the blood pressure is rising, and all of a sudden, you know, some words are exchanged, and me and Ashley are crying on the first clue, right? We're having our first big disagreement in our marriage, and disagreement is a nice church word for, for fight, and so we were having a moment there, and I just said, honey, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and she's, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry too, but I really want to win, can we please just get the sorry over, can we win this game, and so I'm like, no, we're going to have to really, we have to really get things right, we can't go to sleep angry, we're going to have to make sure we get things right, and so we work out our differences, and we apologize, and repent, and had a beautiful moment, and kiss, and all the good stuff, you know, but here's the thing, here's what I realized, we didn't win the scavenger hunt, but what I did realize is Christmas brings out a lot of emotions and stress. Brings out a lot of, like, tension. And there's potential during Christmas season to have strife, to have anxiety. In fact, it says that 48% of Americans actually can't sleep during Christmas time, during that December month. That many of them, stress keeps them up at night. 77% of America reports of having stress every week of the year, but especially during Christmas time. 
73% reports that this stress is, is actually uh, affecting their psychological behavior. And then, and then uh, 37% or 33% says that this stress is so extreme, it's so difficult, it's so intense that they don't know how to handle it. And it's important that we come back to that place in Scripture that tells us, what is Christmas all about? Because if we're not careful, Christmas can become very stressful, very strifeful, very tense, and we can lose the meaning of Christmas. And not to mention, during this season, we hear all types of carols. One of the carols that I've recently been hearing is, uh, deck the halls with fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la, tis the season, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la, we won't keep singing it, but I was thinking about that song, and I keep hearing that song in all the stores, and in fact, I was at Old Navy a couple weeks ago, shopping for my nephew and niece, getting them a Christmas present, and, and this lady at the front desk, I invited her to the Christmas production, and she was, you know, really nice. She was blessed that I invited her to church. She said, I'm going to do something nice for you. I said, thank you. She goes, tis the season. Yeah, tis the season. Thank you. And I've been hearing tis the season at restaurants and different places. And she said, I'm going to give you a 20% discount. I go, tis the season. She says, yes, tis the season. And this whole phrase, I went to look it up. What does tis the season mean? It's a phrase that's only used after Thanksgiving up until Christmas. And it's a, it's a phrase used to kind of say, I'm going to be a little bit nicer, a little bit more happier, a little bit more joyful, easy to be around, a little bit more focus on the family, a little bit more sweet in my marriage uh, during this season. And, and it's great. I love that phrase. The only problem with it is that it's seasonal. It's like depending on the season, I'm nice to be around. Depending on the time of the month, I'm nice to be around. <laughs> Uh-oh, he did not just go there. <laughs> depending, depending on how things are going in my life, I'm sweet, I'm happy, I'm joyful. But don't catch me during a bad season. Don't catch me when things aren't going my way. And it's a seasonal compassion, seasonal kindness, seasonal joy, seasonal behavior. But see, when we have Jesus in our lives, every season we have a reason to rejoice. Every season we have a reason to be generous. Every season we have a reason to be kind and compassionate. Every season, we have a reason to be sweet, to be focused on our family, to think about our marriage, not just on Valentine's Day, not just on Christmas Day, but every day of the year, we have a reason for the season to celebrate. Come on, give it up for Jesus. He is the reason. And I think about how the angel shows up in Luke chapter 2, and over 2,000 years ago, his first announcement is, don't fear. I'm bringing you good news. I'm not bringing you discouragement. I'm not bringing you sickness or disease. I'm bringing you healing. I'm bringing you freedom. I'm bringing you favor. I'm bringing you salvation. That was the good news. And he says this good news results with great joy. Not just some joy, not just average joy, but great joy. Everybody say great joy. joy. And this great joy is not limited to some people. But it says it's for all people, verse 10 says. God didn't just come for the perfect. And I think about when Jesus was born in the manger. Here he is lying in a dirty stable, surrounded by dirty animals. He was born in a barnyard, right? He was born around dirty things. And to me, that's a sign that God came for messed up people. He came for people that don't have it all together. He came for people that aren't all cleaned up. People that do have some dirt in their lives. People that do may have some skeletons in their closet. Jesus wasn't just reaching out to those who got it all together. 
And it says that this joy was for all people. And I think about in, in our experience that his joy, his good news was for the newly, newlywed couple that's still navigating their way through marriage. Figuring out their differences. His joy, his good news was for the marriage that's on their 39th anniversary. Whose kids have moved out of the house and now their kids are having kids. His joy, his good news is for students in college who have stacks of school loans and are, are, are living off ramen noodles and can't sleep at night because of studying for homework. Can I get an amen, students? His good news is for prisoners behind bars. And his good news is for prisoners still stuck in the bar. His good news is for all people, whether you believe in him or not. And one of my favorite parts of the play last week was seeing that atheist, that guy, Dan, holding baby Jesus before he believed. I love that Jesus allows us to come to him before we believe. He says, skeptics, critics, atheists, come to the manger. Come to the stable. Dirty, sick, poor, self-righteous, come to the stable. Come and find hope and healing. Come and find true joy. His announcement was that joy was coming for all of us. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 11, I say these things so that you can have joy and that my joy in you would be complete, that you would be lacking nothing. And the joy of the Lord is not found in a bottle. It's not found in a marriage. It's not found in a pill. It's not found in a promotion. It's not found at a good deal at Old Navy. It's not found in more money. His joy is found simply in Jesus. Our joy is found in Jesus. Our joy, and, and the joy that he gives us, John 16 says that the joy Jesus gave us cannot be taken away. In other words, Satan can't take it. People can't take it. Your boss can't take it. You say, well, I would be joyful if my boss just moved to another planet. I would be joyful if I could get a new life. I would be joyful if I could get a new wife. I would be joyful if I could get a new whatever. All these things that people kind of stake their joy in. And my announcement to you is that can't fix your joy. A new wife can't fix your joy. A new job can't fix your joy. A new promotion can't fix It might for a little bit, but you carry that nasty spirit with you everywhere you go, into every marriage you go into. Until you get that spirit removed and, and put on the garment of praise and the, and the spirit of joy, you're always going to be walking around miserable. And my, my prayer for all of us is that this Christmas, we would experience the joy of the Lord. We would carry it with us everywhere we go. Because the joy of the Lord, not only does it help you. See, God's joy makes you healthier. It makes you happier. Someone said smiling adds to your face value. <laughs> My encouragement. I mean, one time, I'm going to put, like, the pictures of how you look during service up on the screen. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, you guys are sweet. All your faces are beautiful. But some services I've been to, I've seen some tough faces. You know, I think some of us could be models for the Book of Lamentations. Can we loosen up, lighten up, open up, and receive the joy of the Lord that changes our countenance? Not only does joy help your health, but the joy of the Lord, it makes you an even better evangelist to your family members and friends. Joy can be one of the greatest tools to lead people to Christ. And something's different about you. You're going through a storm, and yet you have this joy. In the last service, there's a lady who comes to our 9 a.m. service named Lois Meyer. Lois just turned 97 three weeks ago. <laughs> Lois came up to me, and Lois is one of the most joyful ladies in our whole church. She came up to me today, and she does this every week. She says, Paul, I'm 97 going on 40. 
She's got like a strut going on. She goes, I better get my hug from Pastor Paul this morning. I better get my hug. Okay, I'm hugging you, Lois. And, and she says, Paul, I just, I love this church. See, Lois, even though she's 97, she looks like she's 40. Some people who are 40 look like they're 97. Because they don't have joy in their heart. Everywhere they go, I'm just miserable. I just hate church. I just hate family. I hate my marriage. I hate my job. I hate my boss. I hate life. And, and, and it causes you to age way faster than you should. It causes you to lose that countenance of healthiness, of joy inside you. And, and there's spirits that try to creep up on us and steal our joy at Christmas time. Try to rob us, and not just at Christmas time, but all year long. And I want to share with you four spirits that will try to creep into your life that could take away your joy. Four spirits that try to come in, and these aren't the ghosts of Christmas past. These are actual spirits, attitudes that try to creep in and tempt you to give away your joy. And before I share the first one, I remember sitting at Christmas time. I was 10 years old. We were at Grand Grand's house, and Dad was reading the Bible story and, you know, preaching a sermon at Grand Grand's house. And I'm sitting here, John, Sarah, Ruthie, and Grand Grand, and Mom. And Mom had taught us that no matter what we open up, we need to act excited. And so, you know, when you're a kid, you, you're not, you're still learning to be grateful for everything. Um, and so I remember, you know, during dad's sermon at Grand Grand's house, the whole time, the only thing I was focused on was what's inside my present. Like, which presents are mine? Did I get more presents than John? And what's inside my present? <laughs> just being honest. Can I just be real? And so I'd be sitting there, and finally dad's message ended, and so I go over, and I find, you know, I'd already been shaking my present to see, you know, if it's Legos or something. I was 10 years old. I wanted a toy, something cool, something fun, and, and so finally it's my turn to open my present. I find mine, and I open it up, and I'm getting excited and pulling through all this stuff, and when I finally open it up, it's an Oxford long sleeve button-up shirt with a tie, and I was like... Thank you. Where's my next gift? And so I start looking for my next gift. I, I mean, I wasn't the most grateful. It's what I needed, but it wasn't what I wanted. Sometimes we get what we need instead of what we want. And I go to my next present. I'm thinking, Lord, please let this be something I want. You know, so I go to the present. I'm digging through it just thinking this is going to be a really fun thing that I'm going to get to play with and do something with. It's going to be something fun. Open it up. And it's church socks and underwear. I know I need church socks and underwear, but I don't always want that for Christmas time. Can I just be real? As a 10-year-old kid, that was not my favorite gift. And sometimes we get what we need instead of what we want. One of the first things that I think creeps in that tries to take our joy is the spirit of disappointment. The disappointed spirit. I thought I was going to get this. I was expecting marriage to feel like this. I was expecting having kids to fix my happiness. I was expecting life to be better by this time. I was expecting to be further along in my career by now. I'm disappointed with you, God. I'm disappointed with you, family. I'm disappointed with myself. I'm disappointed with my church. I'm disappointed with my work. I'm disappointed with everybody. And it's a constant spirit of disappointment. It's like you've lost your awe factor. You've lost your wow factor. Like, even if I was to take you to the Grand Canyon, you'd be like, I'm disappointed with that. It's just not like it used to be. The caves have changed. Something different about them. Just disappointed. If I took you to the seven wonders of the world, you'd still be disappointed. 
Because no matter what happens to you in this life, nothing here can fix your disappointed spirit. The only thing that fixes a disappointed spirit is bringing it to Christ. Realizing that you have it. And then bringing it to Christ. And, and what really what kind of spurns a disappointed spirit is a lack of gratitude in your life. Everywhere you go, I'm disappointed with that restaurant. Disappointed with my waiter. Disappointed with the waitress. I'm disappointed with my friends. They're just not meeting my expectations. Like nobody and nothing is good enough for you. Have you ever met someone like that? Don't raise your hand if they're in the room. <laughs> You're like, man, they need to be here right now. I'm getting in the CD. <laughs> I know this person doesn't go here, doesn't live here, and won't ever watch this, so that's good. But there's this thing that it's like they're never, ever impressed. I'm never impressed. You, you can't wow me. You can't get me to go, oh, wow. I think about those grandkids in service. Oh, wow. When's the last time you said, oh, wow? What does God have to do to get you to just say, oh, wow? Could it be that Christ dying on the cross is enough to say, oh, wow? Could it be that Jesus raising from the dead for you is enough to go, wow, God. No longer will I live with the spirit of disappointment, but Lord, let me overwhelmingly respond with the, oh, wow. Life is beautiful when you overcome a spirit of disappointment. Anything can inspire you. I find myself going, oh, wow, all the time with my child. Oh, wow. Liam, did you see what Liam did? Oh, he was laughing. I heard him say, dad, dad, before he said mama. And, and I, I get so excited. And see, here's the thing. We won't be joyful if we don't think God's joyful. Like if we think God's a mad God, then we just think it's kind of hard to be joyful. God's mad at me. God's punishing me. I just have to survive Christmas time because God won't allow me to have joy this Christmas. God's inflicting me with sickness and disease. He's not the cause of your problems. He's not the inflictor of sickness and disease. My Bible says that God is the author of all good gifts. All good things come from the Lord. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And I think about how so many times we have this bad perception of God that he's a mad God. If he's not a mad God, he's a sad God. Oh, he's so sad about the world. He's so sad about me. He's so sad about life. There was only one time that God was sad. It was when Jesus died on the cross. He turned his back. But when Jesus rose from the grave, God has been glad, a victoriously joyful God cheering you on. He's not sad with you. He's not mad at you. He's not a bad God. He's a glad God. He's a good God. Can we just take a five-second praise break? We serve a glad, joyful, amazing Father. Thank you, Jesus. In the same way that I find delight watching my child, God finds delight watching you. Even when my child messes up, falls on the floor and starts to cry, doesn't like his diaper being changed, Put him in the car seat. He throws a fit at first. I find joy watching my child just develop his personality, just grow, just mature. God finds joy watching you grow and mature. No matter how old you get, you are still his baby. He looks at you, and if you're 97, you're still his 97-year-old baby boy, baby girl. He looks at you and says, you're not too old to sit in dad's lap. And I look at you, and he says... I take delight in seeing you rejoice even in your trials.
even in your storms. He doesn't take delight when you're going through bad times, but He takes delight when you mature enough as a believer to celebrate the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, and rejoice even when you're walking through difficult times. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say... When Paul said that, the sewage in the dungeon cell that he was locked in was up to his, 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 uh, his hips right here. He was, he was that deep in sewage. He was in a dark dungeon cell in Rome. And here he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That changes my perspective of what Paul was talking about. It wasn't because he got what he wanted under the Christmas tree. It's that he had learned that no matter what he gets under there, that doesn't fix his joy. That his joy is so much deeper, so much stronger, so much more fulfilling than anything this life could offer. Now, I've learned the secret, Paul said. I've learned the secret to contentment. I've learned the secret to joy. That no matter what I face, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My encouragement, if you're carrying a spirit of disappointment, Bring it to the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for you. He cares for you. His joy is in you. Hebrews 12, 2 says, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. What was the joy set before God? You. Me. God has done all of this for you. For me. He loves you. He is joyfully celebrating your growth. The fact that you even showed up to church today, God's excited. He's excited that you just forced yourself to get out of bed and get into church and receive from the Lord and bring Him worship and praise. The second spirit that tries to take our joy is the comparison spirit. The comparison spirit. Here I was opening my presents, the Oxford shirt, the tie, the underwear, the church socks, and all of a sudden I'm watching John, and John gets like the coolest presents ever. John starts opening his presents, and it's actually stuff that he can play with and do fun stuff with. And I'm going, I wish I had his gift. I wish I got his present. And the older we get, we still carry this around. I wish I had their life. I wish I had his opportunities. I wish I had their backyard. I wish we had that flat screen TV. I wish that my floors were like her floors. I wish that my, 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 my marriage was like their marriage. I wish my family was like their family. I wish I had clothes like their clothes. And the comparison spirit is a sure road towards depression. It is a sure road. You don't ever win with comparison. You either become prideful or you become discouraged. And that nowhere in the Bible does it say look to the left and look to the right to measure how good your life really is. No, Proverbs 4, verse 25 through 27 says, Look neither to the left nor to the right, but keep your eyes straight on your path. Stay in your lane. You can celebrate them, but don't get jealous of them and don't pridefully compare yourself to them. Stay in your lane and learn to enjoy the life God's given you. And learn to enjoy this life. I, a week ago, a friend said, we just got back from this awesome ski trip. All of us friends, we took a road trip to Colorado. We went skiing. We were able to do it for such a cheap amount. Had a blast. And I was sitting there, and I was like, cool. I couldn't celebrate it because I was jealous. I was comparing. I was like, man, I wish I could have gone with them on that ski trip. I wish I could have done that. And all of a sudden, God checked me, a heart check. He said, Paul, you may not have gotten to go on the ski trip this year, but you were handed an incredible position leading one of the most amazing churches in the world. Paul, you may not have gotten to go on a ski trip, 
But you had a baby boy born in January who's 11 months old that you got to spend a whole family day with while they were on the ski trip. Paul, you may not have gotten to go on the ski trip, but you led 300 people to Christ on the weekend of the Christmas production. Paul, stop looking to the left or to the right to compare what your life is or isn't. I can't enjoy your life, and you can't enjoy my life. So let's stop comparing. And with social media, it's such a temptation. You've got Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, and so you always see what people are getting to do and their vacations and their opportunities and their presence at Christmas and all the new toys they get. All the, the new toys. He gets a motorcycle. He gets a car. They get a new thing in the backyard, and all of a sudden, your joy starts leaving you because your presents aren't as cool as their presents. And God says, stop looking to the left or to the right to find your joy. Your joy can't be found in what you don't have. And sometimes we get so focused on where we aren't, what we don't have, who's missing from our life, that we miss where we are, what we do have, and who's with us in this life. And I'm telling you guys, there's a reason to rejoice no matter what you're going through. The next spirit that tries to come into our life is a critical spirit. Luke 6 verse 45 says that the words flow from the heart. What we say flows from our heart. The critical spirit is constantly critiquing everybody and everything. I've got these uh, things down here. Thank you, Ashley, if you can hand those to me. I'm so grateful for my wife. She's amazing. Come on, brownie points. But sometimes we walk around as judges, critics of, of everything. Like, you know, God put me on the earth to be like Siskel and Eber. I, I give two thumbs up or two thumbs down no matter, you know, where I'm at, what I go through. I have a number one through ten, and so this week I'm going to give, you know, I'm going to give the church a 1 out of 10. I am just not impressed with them. I'm going to give my kids a, a 2 out of 10. No, 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 no. I'll give them a 3 this week. I'm going to be gracious, but I'm just not really excited about how they're treating people. And I'm going to give you a 4 out of 10. I'm just not happy with you. And so we live with this critical mindset. But the more you critique, the less you receive. And can I just say something? We have enough volunteers in the critic department at the church. We sure could use some volunteers in all the areas being critiqued. There's enough volunteers in your family in the critic department. Your family doesn't need one more critic telling them all the wrong things they're doing. God did not place you on this earth to critique your spouse, critique your kids, critique your job, critique your boss, critique everybody. And we live sometimes with this constant spirit of criticism. And it robs us of the joy of just thanking God and thanking people for what they do have, what they do do, the, the progress that they are making. Maybe they're not where you want them to be, but look at how far they've come from where they were. Maybe you're not where you want to be, and sometimes the critical spirit is all in us. You're never happy with yourself. You're always finding your flaws. I wish I didn't have this pimple. I wish I didn't have this hair over there. I wish I had that hair up here. I wish, I, I wish, I, I wish that, that, that this was different about me. I wish I had a different body. I wish I had different feet or different legs or different hands or different eyes or different ears or a different nose. And Nothing about you is perfect in your mind. You're always critiquing yourself. And God's saying, hold on. I don't make mistakes. So why do you keep calling yourself a mistake? Why do you keep finding mistakes? Some of us, every time we go into any place, but especially our own house, we always find what's wrong with our house. Like, there's dirty laundry in here. Well, at least you have clothes. The washing machine's not working that good. At least you have a washing machine. 
yeah, but I wish we had different floors. At least you have floors. I wish I had different kitchen countertops. At least you have a countertop. may not be marble, but at least you have a kitchen. I wish I had a stainless steel refrigerator. At least you have a refrigerator. Sometimes we're always finding what we don't have, what's wrong with our house. I dare you to start finding what's right with your house. It might even make your marriage happier. It might even make your family happier. If you just walked in and said, man, I like our floors. Why? They haven't changed in 20 years. I'm just grateful for our floors. Man, I like our kitchen. Oh, I love this refrigerator. We haven't updated it. We haven't changed it. We haven't made anything better. And, and, and yet you're finding joy in the things you already have. Instead of critiquing and criticizing the things you don't. Man, God, thank you for my life. I can always find something wrong with me. I'm one of the most self-critical people I know. Because I always want to pick apart all my sermons, pick apart all my life, pick apart, oh, I'm not good at that, I'm not good at this yet. And God's saying, hold on, Paul. Find joy in who I've made you to be. Find joy in the progress that you're making. Find joy at where you're at in life. Quit wishing you were somewhere else doing something else on a, on a higher level in your life. Be thankful where you're at. The critical spirit steals and robs us of the joy of the moment. I heard a phrase, and I want the worship team to come up as I get ready to close. This phrase is so, it so impacted me. It said, disappointment, discouragement is dissatisfaction with the past, distaste for the present, and distrust of the future. It is ingratitude for the blessings of yesterday, indifference to the opportunities of today, and insecurity regarding strength for tomorrow. It is unawareness of the presence of beauty, unconcerned for the needs of our fellow man, and unbelief in the promises of old. It is impatience with time, immaturity of thought, and impoliteness to God. Impatience with the progress that God has you on. Impoliteness to the blessings that God has given you. Sometimes we can be so critical to God critical of each other we come in and we find the first thing wrong I give the worship leader a 5 out of 10 I'm going to find something wrong with the Grand Canyon I'm going to find something wrong about Christmas this year I'm going to find something wrong about church next week ooh I can't wait to critique you I used to come back after chapel services at ORU and some of the students would just sit around and I'd walk in and They'd just be critiquing the whole thing, critiquing chapel services from start to finish. And it was, there was nothing good. It was all negative, negative, negative. I was thinking, where do we learn this? This didn't just like all of a sudden happen. This evolves from growing up in a world, a culture, a family that's constantly nitpicking, 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 nitpicking. No one's ever good enough. Nothing's ever good enough. God's never good enough. God, I know you blessed me with this, but man, I sure could use another blessing. God, I know you've given me the miracle of life. I've got breath in my lungs, but man, I'm, I'm still unhappy about things. And we've lost our wow factor with God. That joy is not found in the next miracle you receive. Joy is found in celebrating the miracle you already have. Jesus is enough. Jesus plus nothing equals everything I need. Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus plus a new house. 
It's not Jesus plus a new job. It's not Jesus plus a spouse. It's not Jesus plus a drug. It's not Jesus plus some drinks. It's not Jesus plus some, some pills. It's not Jesus plus more money. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything I need to be joyful. And the last spirit that tries to creep in is the diseased spirit. The diseased spirit. Can never relax. Can never be peaceful. Can never be joyful. Always stressed. Oh, you stress me out. Oh, I'm so stressed this week. Don't even talk to me. I'm going to stress out even more. No, don't touch me. I'm stressed right now. And we feel like we're walking on pins and needles around you. And we need you to relax. Be still and know that he is God. Be still. The diseased spirit leads to so many diseases. It's crazy how they say stress develops some of the most intense diseases. I'm not saying it's the leading cause. I'm just saying it is a cause. And I I challenge us all this Christmas to just chill out. Here's the way to do it. Don't expect everything to go perfect. Don't expect everything to go just the way you want it to be. You might come into your house and it may not be the way you want it to be. It may not go as perfectly planned as you thought it was going to go. But I'm telling you, you will be a lot easier to be around if you just relax and not let people and things set you off so easily. Not get so bent out of shape over every flaw in the church, every offense that someone brings at your family. Not get so easily freaked out when someone offers you a chance to improve. I'm not saying that criticism is all bad. There's constructive criticism that helps us. And sometimes the diseased spirit can't even handle someone wanting to help you. The diseased spirit is constantly on edge. You're attacking me. And it's a victim mentality. And church, we are victors. We go to victory. We are not victim church. We are victory church. Aren't you glad we didn't name this church victim church on the front? That when you drive in, oh, I can't wait to go to the victim church. We're all victims The world's attacking us. Our families are attacking us. Our spouses are attacking us. Our kids are attacking us. Our parents are attacking us. No, church. We are the victorious church. We walk into victory. We've got that Lois Meyer strut in our step. I'm 97, but I feel like I'm 40. The older I get, the younger I look because I carry joy everywhere I go. Satan can't take it. Family can't take it. Someone who cuts me off in traffic can't take it. I have the joy of the Lord. I'm not going to allow my flaws and imperfections to control a critical spirit always about myself. I'm going to rise up and rejoice in who God's made me to be. I may not be the funniest guy. I may not be the smartest guy. But I am who I am by the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm growing who I need to be. But I'm thankful for where I'm at right now. Learn to rejoice today. Don't let the disease of hopelessness take your joy. 1 Samuel 4 tells a story about a woman giving birth. And right as she's giving birth, she finds out her father-in-law, Eli, has just fallen back in his chair and broken his neck and died. Then she finds out that her husband has been shot in battle, been killed, wounded, and he dies. Then she finds out that the Ark of the Covenant, God's Ark, has been captured from Israel and taken into a foreign land. And in the middle of all this present pain, she allows the present to name the future. She names her child Ichabod. Icky for short. Ichabod stands for the glory has departed. Ichabod stands for there's no hope for tomorrow. 
My best days are behind me. God's finished with me. He's done. I've failed too many times for God to do anything new in me. Ichabod says that it'll never get better. Things will never turn around. Icky, icky, icky. My life is Ichabod, people say. But see, we have a different word to proclaim as believers. Matthew chapter 2 says that when the angel spoke to Joseph, he said, This son will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when you're faced with a storm and things look difficult and the present things just look impossible, you look at the future and say, Emmanuel, God is with me. Emmanuel, I will get through this test. Emmanuel, this battle will not beat me down. Emmanuel, God is with me. God is for me. God is not against me. God has not forsaken me. This thing will turn around. God is not finished with me yet. Emmanuel, my best days, church, are right in front of me. Emmanuel, the favor of the Lord is upon me. 2015 will be my best year yet. This Christmas, I speak Emmanuel over your house. Emmanuel in your marriage. Emmanuel over your kids. Emmanuel in your business. You don't get that that Ichabod spirit. You rise up with the spirit of praise and you speak out, Emmanuel, God is with me. God is for me. God is not abandoning me. God is fighting for me. God is turning things around. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. My best days are right in front of me. This is the year of God's favor, God's increase God's miraculous power in Jesus name come on can we stand up and praise the Lord give him a praise break in this place give him worship in this place we worship you Lord our God is here